Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, and then hold your place in Proverbs chapter 1 and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 1, and then turn over to Proverbs chapter 8. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been stressed out? You ever been stressed out? Unless you live on another planet, unless you're from another world, you have been stressed out. Here's what I've discovered. Each and every week, every single one of us are either stressed out or we are stressing someone else out. Would you agree with that? We are either stressed out or we're stressing someone else out. We hear things like, don't mind him, he's just stressed out. We say things like, don't bother mama, don't bother daddy, they've had a stressful day. We go to the doctor, we have some kind of physical ailment, and he says, you're under too much stress. And there's all kinds of stress. There's work stress, there is marital stress, there is parenting stress, there is school stress, there is political stress, there's financial stress, and and those are just a few of the kinds of stress that we face in our world today. Several years ago, Time Magazine had a lead article that was entitled, Stress, Can We Cope? We're under stress, can we cope with it? Speaking here in America, the National Director of Mental Health in England said this. He said, the whole Western world is under stress. It is the fastest growing disease in the world. Stress, the fastest growing disease on our planet. General Mills Corporation surveyed 15,000 people in a study that was entitled Family Health in an Era of Stress. And here's what they discovered. 82% of the people that they surveyed indicated they needed help in coping with stress. 82%. The American Academy of General Practitioners has concluded that two-thirds of the people that they see have stress-related illnesses. Two-thirds. There's peptic ulcers, there's high blood pressure, there's migraine, there's asthma, there, there are different kinds of strokes that are all the result of stress. I read this past week that 112 million Americans take medication for stress every single week. But the fact of the matter is, we're going to always have stress. As long as we live in a world that has fallen, as long as we live in a world that is tainted by sin, we are going to have to deal with stress. So so I guess a better title to this message is not how to have a stress-free life, but, but rather, how can I deal with my stress? Because understand, you will face stress living in a sinful world. And so the question is, how can I better deal with stress when it happens? Well, I want you to listen to what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it says this, the Proverbs of Solomon... 
for attaining wisdom and discipline. For acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. Circle that word prudent. For giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Circle that word prudence. Prudent and prudence. And now turn over to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 5. Listen to what Solomon says there. He says, you who are simple gain prudence. Circle that word prudence. You who are foolish gain understanding. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about how to live the best life you can ever live. And the first thing, the most important thing is that you've got to understand that if you want to live the life you were created to live, it begins with God. And we talked about that phrase, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God leads to life. Until you recognize that you are not the master of your universe, until you understand that the world doesn't revolve around you, It revolves around God. God is the creator. God is the center of everything. You're never going to live the life that God intends for you to live. So it begins with God. And then we talked about wisdom. And we discovered our definition of wisdom is seeing and then doing life from God's perspective. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective and then living life, doing life. From God's perspective. It's it's not just knowledge. It's not just knowing the facts. It's applying the facts to our life. And we discovered that wisdom is better than doing the right thing. Doing the wise thing is the most important thing. Sometimes we ask ourselves, what is the right thing to do? And that's not the right question. The right question is, what is the wise thing For me to do because sometimes I can do something that isn't necessarily sinful, and yet at the same time, it's not the best thing because it's not the wise thing to do. And then we talked about discipline, and we discovered that discipline, according to God's word, comes from above. God disciplines us. We discovered discipline comes from others, the authorities that God has placed in our life. And then discipline comes from within when we learn to live that that self-disciplined life. And, And until we learn to experience discipline and apply discipline to our life, we will never live the life God wants us to live. But today, I want us to focus on that word prudence. Because I believe that prudence is the key to managing stress in life. That word prudent or prudence is found 15 times in the book of Proverbs. 15 times. The English definition for prudent is wise or judicious in practical affairs. Sagacious, discreet or um, circumspect, sober, shrewd in the management of practical affairs. It comes from a Hebrew word that literally means to be smooth. It it, it was used to describe a boat that was being towed by a rope through difficult waters. And so, in other words, 
When you have prudence in your life, it will guide and direct you through the difficult times in your life. I believe when we learn to live a prudent life, things will go more smoothly and we will discover that we can manage the stress that is happening in our life. And so the question is, how does the Bible use this word prudent? Because if prudence is the key to managing stress, then then I need to discover, how do I apply prudence to my life? And as we look through the book of Proverbs, we discover six different areas in which the Bible speaks about prudence. And, And it tells us how to live if we want to live a life where we can manage the stress that we face. And so here's the first thing. If I want to learn how to manage stress, I've got to learn self-control. I've got to learn self-control. I can't hulk out every time something doesn't go my way. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 12, verse 16. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Now, that word overlook, the Hebrew word, literally means to clothe. And so what that is saying is that a prudent person will clothe an insult, will cover it up. They, they won't expose it, but they will cover it up. Another translation of that verse says it this way. A fool is quick-tempered. A wise man stays cool when insulted. If we want to learn how to handle stress... We must make a commitment to self-control, to keep our heads, to not lose our temper. You see, it's biblical to tell someone to chill out. Sometimes we need to tell people that. Now, what I've discovered is that it feels good at times to lose control, doesn't it? I mean, it just feels good to let off the steam, doesn't it? I mean, to let someone have a piece of our mind. If you agree that that sometimes that feels good, raise your hand. I I mean, I, I know that feels good. And yet, after we do it, after we do it, we always know that it wasn't the right thing to do. We may let off steam, but now we are paying the price. We're experiencing the repercussions of letting off that steam, of of blowing our cool, of showing our temper. Here's what statistics say. The average man loses his temper six times a day. The average woman loses her temper three times a day. And I'm not sure why, but the average single loses their temper twice as often. And I don't know why. It may be because they don't have a husband or wife in their life to blow off sting too. And so they just blow it off more. But, but that's what statistics say. We are more likely to express anger at home than anywhere else in our life. And I, for one, have experienced that to be true. And the reason is we, we have a tendency to watch ourselves more closely out in public than we do in home, at home. I heard about one couple 
who were talking. And the husband said, when I get mad at you, you never fight back. How are you able to control your anger? And she said, well, whenever I get angry, I clean the toilet. And and he said, how does that help? And she said, well, I use your toothbrush. Now, I guess that's one way that we can control our anger. But if you're saying that's a great idea, let me encourage you. Don't do that. Don't do it. Proverbs 29, 22 says that anger causes all kinds of trouble. Listen to what Proverbs tells us about anger. Hot tempers cause arguments. Anger causes mistakes. People with hot tempers do foolish things. And might I add to that, say foolish things, don't we? And and now some of you say, well, well, I can't control myself. That's just the way I am. And and I've got a word for that, baloney. (laughs) You can control yourself. You say, well, prove it to me. Well, well, an example that that I'm sure you've heard before, but, but you're at home. You're having an argument with your husband. You're having an argument with your wife. I mean, both of you are letting it fly, and all of a sudden the phone rings, and you answer the phone, and you go, hello? How do you do that? You've determined that you are going to control your temper. Now, now, what does it take to get you riled up? What does it take to upset you? Because a sure sign of maturity is self-control. And self-control will help you manage the stress that is in your life. Thomas Jefferson said this. When you're angry, count to ten. When you're real angry, count to a hundred. And if you're still angry at a hundred, I don't know what to do. Go Hit a punching bag or something, but, but don't let your anger out. Proverbs 29 verse 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And so we need to learn to control ourselves. Now, now, here's what I've discovered. And let me say to you, I'm not good at this. I, I'm a work in progress. So I'm not standing before you saying, here's what I do. No, I'm, I'm here telling you, here's what God says that each and every one of us should do. But the best way to deal with anger when it's expressed to you is found in Proverbs where it says in verse, chapter 15, verse 1, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, a, a harsh word stirs up anger. Here's, here's what I do Most of the time. And it's not right. But I'm just being honest with you. I'm being transparent. If someone comes to me harsh, then I have a tendency to come back to them harsh. If someone comes to me controlled, calm, I have a tendency to stay controlled and and calm. And again, that's not right. That's wrong. Because when I do that, what that does is it just makes the situation worse. A gentle answer turns away wrath. It turns away anger. If you want to manage your stress, learn self 
control. Here's the second thing. If you want to learn how to manage your stress, limit what you say. Zip it. Zip it. And we're not talking about your zipper. We're talking about your lips. Zip it. Proverbs 12, verse 23 says, A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. The Living Bible says a wise man doesn't display his knowledge, but a fool displays his foolishness. The less we say, the better off we're going to be. I have discovered that my mouth can get me in more trouble, cause me more grief, and make me look more foolish than any other part of my body. That's why James said that we need to be quick to listen and we need to be slow to speak. A wise person refrains from speaking until they really have something to say. Have you met people that have something to say about everything? They're an expert on everything. It doesn't matter what the conversation is about, but but they have to share their, their two cents. Uh, I've had the opportunity to be on this, this committee outside of our church. And, and, um, and what is so funny is sometimes what you're speaking about in that committee, on that team, is cut and dry. I mean, it's so simple. Anyone who has listened knows what the answer is recognizes that the presentation is correct, and you're just ready to vote and move on to what you need to do next. But there's one guy that's on this committee that no matter what the subject is, he has to share his opinion. And I got to tell you, everybody else there looks at him. Whenever there's silence in the room and we're about to vote. Because they know his hand's going to go up. He's got something to say. He's got his two cents worth to add to it. And what we need to understand is it's better for us to be quiet unless we really have something to say. Unless someone asks for your opinion... Most of the time, it's better not to give it. Amen? And that's what we need to learn. And so we need to learn that we don't have to always tell what we think about everything. Second, when it comes to limiting what we say, we need to get to the point where we have all of the facts or as many facts as we can possibly get before we chime in. Because all too often, when we speak from a lack of knowledge on the subject, we're going to make ourselves appear foolish. And that's what Solomon says. The prudent person will hold back their knowledge, but a fool speaks and their folly is clearly Seen. It's much better to watch our words and use them sparingly. And what we will discover is the stress in our life will begin to melt away. Proverbs 7 verse 28 says this. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent. I mean, you can be an absolute 
fool, according to Solomon's words. And if you'll just sit there and look around to see how everyone else is nodding their head and nod it the same way, you'll appear wise even though you may not know a thing. So limit what you say. Here's the third thing that Solomon says. If I want to learn how to manage my stress, I need to look ahead. Listen to Proverbs 13, verse 16. Every prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. The Living Bible says a wise man thinks ahead. A fool doesn't. It even brags about it. Someone said this one time. To fail to plan is the plan to what? Fail to plan is to plan to fail. Oftentimes, our failure can be attributed to nothing more than a lack of planning. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of ability. It's, it's the plain fact of the matter is, is we haven't planned ahead. If I look to the future, if I look ahead, I will be prepared when the future gets here. Someone else said, you don't receive F's for failing a test. You receive F's for failing to prepare for a test. Spontaneity and impulsiveness is okay some of the time. But let me tell you, if everything we're doing is spontaneous and impulsive, we will discover that sooner or later we're getting ourselves in trouble. Planning will reduce a lot of our headaches. Now, there are two areas where we create more stress than any other, I believe, when it comes to looking ahead and failing to do that. The first is financial, our finances. And, and we're not going to speak in detail on this because we're going to spend an entire Sunday on this in several weeks. But here's what I know. If you don't have a written plan that you have predetermined on how you're going to spend your money, you will eventually have financial troubles. Let me say that again. If you don't have a written plan that you have predetermined to tell how you're going to spend your money, sooner or later, you're going to have financial troubles. Because if you don't tell your money where to go, you're going to look up one day and you're going to go, where did it go? And that's what a lot of people do. We go to the mall and we see something new and we say, I've got to have it. We see someone driving down the road in, in the, the latest car and we go, wow, I need it. And whatever it may be, we buy impulsively, we spend impulsively, and all of a sudden we're looking at the checkbook and we don't have the money to pay the bills that we've got to pay. And let me tell you, when we are stressed out when it comes to money, that is one of the most difficult stresses to face. And I want to meddle for just a minute. Occasionally, our financial troubles have to do with our income. Occasionally. Because there is a certain amount of money that you're going to have to have to live to pay the bills. But for the most part, our financial problems aren't the result of our income. It's the result of our outtake, how we're spending our money. 
We see what someone else has. We see how someone else is living. And in our minds, we deserve that. We're justified to buy this because they have it. And let me tell you, if our income says that we need to find a place to rent for $450 a month, we better find a place to rent for $450 a month. If our income says that we're going to run the A.C. less in our house, we better run our A.C. less in our house. If our income says that we have to say we're not going out to eat when everybody else is saying they're going out to eat, we need to do that. We're having a family gathering a couple of weeks ago. My daughter and son-in-law and grandson were here from Oklahoma. And so we had our parents and Sherry's parents and everybody over and we... we um, we, had a, we cooked a hog. We had fun cooking that hog. And, and my kids, they always remind us because we're, well, they call us tight. I, I would call it frugal. But they always remind us because I tell them how blessed they are. I mean, none of our children have had, had um, student loan debt. And that's because we saved up so that we could help them with college. We made sacrifices so that we could do other things. But they never will fail to remind us when we're having a conversation like this, we remember when we lived in Titusville, Florida, and everyone else was going to Taco Bell to eat on Sunday night, and we'd say, no, we're not going to go. And they would always ask why and say, well, we're just not going to spend that money. And, And they said, it was Taco Bell. And then they said, and when we did go to Taco Bell and we wanted one of those, and I don't even think they have them anymore, and we wanted a Choco Taco. It was a dessert taco. You wouldn't let us have it because it costs more. And I said, yeah, and you don't have student loan debt either. (laughs) You see, we live within our means. Many of our stresses financially are because we spend money that we really don't have on things we really don't need because someone else has them. So finances. The next area that we don't plan ahead is spiritual. Most of us think we're going to live forever. And so when we're younger, we don't think about eternity. We don't think about that one day when we're going to close our eyes for the very last time and 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 we're going to open our eyes and we're going to be standing before God and we're going to give an account of our life. And, And may I say to you that whether you think it or not, I believe the most stressful time in any person's life who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus is that moment when they drift off into eternity unprepared and they stand before God and they realize, I now have to give an account of my life. And we spend our lives trying to build a career. We spend our lives trying to build a home. We spend our lives trying to build relationships and we miss the most important thing, which is preparing for eternity. We've got to look ahead. And young people, you think that you've got your entire life ahead of you, and you do. But the only question is, how long is your life here on this earth? 
I mean, the fact of the matter is, Jesus could come back today and all of us would give an account. Some of you could walk out of this building today and something tragic could happen. And we don't think about that. Because we're young and we're healthy. And here's the problem. The longer we put off preparing for eternity, the harder our heart gets. And when we get to that point, when we begin to think about eternity as we get older, our heart has become so hardened toward God that we don't even think that He is the right option. So look ahead. The fourth thing. Live cautiously. Proverbs 14 verse 15 says, A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. In other words, don't believe everything you're told and don't believe everything you read. It never ceases to amaze me on Facebook how many people just copy, post, and print them as if they were true. This past week, I don't know if you saw it, it's a great story. It's a great story to use here for living cautious lives. But there was a story about a couple in Fort Lauderdale, I believe it was, that were arrested, and they were arrested for selling golden tickets to heaven. Now, here's the crazy thing. Not that they were selling golden tickets to heaven. The crazy thing is people were buying The golden tickets to heaven for a hundred dollars a pop. In the story, the people were crazy. I mean, they were drug addicts and they said that Jesus told them to do this. He's the one who gave them the golden tickets and he gave them to it so that they could make money to to hitch a ride with an alien to another planet where you could get free drugs forever. Incredible story about living cautiously. But here's the problem. The story's not true. And so the people who were posting it saying, look at these idiots. They're the idiots. They're telling stories that aren't even true and they're believing them themselves. We need to live cautious lives. You don't believe everything that you're told. You need to look before you leap. Now, I don't want to sound cynical, but, but in many instances today, we need to require proof before we do something. God gave us minds to use and, and not just to take up space in our heads. We need to learn to ask questions. We need to learn to take precautions. Jesus said it this way. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. There's nothing wrong with with being cautious. God doesn't want us to be naive. God doesn't want us to be gullible. We need to learn to live cautious lives. Fifth, listen to correction. Proverbs 15, 5 says, A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. Hear people's advice. Be willing to learn. Have a teachable spirit. None of us like to be corrected, but it's often needed. As we said last week, parents need to correct their children 
Friends need to correct each other. There are times, listen, that the church needs to intervene in our lives and correct us when we get off track. I want you to listen to a few verses about correction and discipline. Proverbs 13, 18. He who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame. Proverbs 15, 31 and 32. He who listens to life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. He who ignores discipline despises himself. I've discovered that the most successful people in life aren't necessarily the smartest. They aren't necessarily the most creative. But the most successful people in life are those who have surrounded themselves with wise advisors. They've surrounded themselves with people who know more than they do. And they trust their advice. They seek their advice. Proverbs 15, 22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Listen to correction. And then finally, if you want to manage your stress, leave evil. Listen to Proverbs 22, verse 3. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself. But the naive go on and are punished for it. Now, in Proverbs 27, verse 12, it says almost the exact same thing in the same way. It says, a prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceeds and pays the penalty. And so what do we need to do? We need to stay away from evil. Some people never learn. When we see things that harm us, when we see things that hurt us, we need to do everything within our power to stay away from them. And sin is one of those things. We're told in God's Word what it will lead to, and yet many times we ignore God's Word and we rush into sin, and in the end, it leads us to disaster. That's why David said, I will set no vile thing Before my eyes. We need to stay away from evil. Or it's going to create stress in our lives. Do you want to handle stress? Well, Solomon tells us how. But let me say to you. That if you do everything that I said. It's going to help you manage stress. But there's a foundation that you need to lay. That will help you with your stress. And that foundation is Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 11. He said, come to me all you who are wearied and burdened and and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me all you who are stressed out. Who are overwhelmed. And I will give rest to your souls. Are you stressed out? Jesus will help. I don't know what day it was. It may have been Wednesday. But on Wednesday, I posted on Facebook the, the, um, the sermon title, How to Live a Stress-Free Life. And above it, I posted this. I am really stressed out. Working on Sunday's message. It was a joke. What was funny is that several of our members who love me said things like, We got your back, Pastor Rocky. 
Don't worry about it. Just let God speak through you. I'm praying for you. And so finally I responded, I was just kidding. Look at the title. Here's what I've discovered. In a fallen world where we're dealing with sinful people and we still struggle with the sinful nature, we're going to face stress. It's going to come into our life. But I've discovered that with Jesus, our stress really is manageable. What is the difference between the person over here who loses their job and can't handle it? And the person over here who experiences the same thing and has a peace that passes understanding. What is the difference between the person over here who who faces an an incurable illness or, or the death of someone they love and they break? And the person over here who goes through the same thing and yet somehow, some way, they seem to go through it. The hurt's there, the pain's there, but, but it's manageable. What's the difference? I believe the difference is this. The person over here has learned experientially, come to me, all you who are weary, who are heavy laden, who are broken, who are stressed out. And I'll give rest to your souls. He really can. I don't know what kind of stress you're facing today. I don't know where it's coming from. But here's what I know. We have a Savior who can help us manage our stress. And in the midst of our stress, give us a peace that really is beyond understanding. But we have to know Him experientially We can't just know him intellectually. He has to be our personal savior. Not just the savior that we read about in the Bible. And so my question is, do you know him? Have you experienced him for yourself? Because if you haven't, the stresses of this life, are going to always get the best of you. I want you to bow your head. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I just want us to pray for just a minute. And and what I want to do is I want us to pray that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. And so with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you are struggling with a stress, a stressor, That seems overwhelming. And the stress in your life has become unmanageable. And you want me to pray for you right now. Would you raise your hand? If you're here and that stress is overwhelming. That stress is unmanageable. And you want us to pray for you. Would you raise your hand? Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Anyone who's struggling with that kind of stress. Raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. I want us to pray right now, okay? Father God, I thank you.
that you did not create us and leave us alone. Lord, your creation wasn't just something for you to observe. You created us so that you could show your love to us. So that you could have a relationship with us and we could have a relationship with you. And Lord, I know that it's not your desire for us to be overwhelmed with stress. And so, Father, I want to pray right now for those who lifted their hands. And I pray that you will give them a peace that passes understanding. I pray, Father, that the power of your Holy Spirit will work in their lives like never before. I pray, Lord God, that you will give them the ability not to not have stress, but give them the ability to handle whatever stress comes their way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, if you're here, you're that person that has never entered into that personal, experiential relationship with Jesus, and you would like for Him to be your personal Savior, your personal Lord. You would like for Him to come and live in your life then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to him right now with a sincere heart. Dear God, I come to you right now needing you. I can't live this life on my own. I need you. I know that I've tried to live life my way and I know that that's sin. I know I need a Savior. And so I'm asking you to forgive me. I know that you love me. You proved it by dying for my sins on the cross. I know that you have the power not only to save me, but change me. You proved it by defeating sin and death. And so right here, I'm asking you to save me. Come into my life. Change me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take control of my life. Give me both the desire and the power to live in a way that pleases you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.